0: For this episode, I talked to a close friend of mine on some of the issues that I imagine we'll be touching on over the course of the 86 episodes of this show. Yeah, that's right. I'm taking my chances. We touch on sensitivity, we touch on censorship, we touch on authority. And the thing that I took away from this episode is that authority might not always take the form of somebody with a badge or a gun or in certain parts of the world, just a badge. But I think it's something that we're always going to have to deal with. And the question that I want to pose all of you is, let's say you had to take the authority on something. What would it be? Would you be in charge of preparing meals in your home? Would you decide what programming can be on television? Would you be willing to take up a badge or a gun? I imagine that not everybody is a fan of the concept, but I believe it's something that is going to come up either way. So what's worse? You having to do something you don't like or seeing somebody do a worse job than you? But what do I know? My guest today is somebody who I wasn't, it wasn't the plan to have him be my first guest because I didn't have a plan to have a first guest. I just reached out to whoever wanted to speak to me. But I'm actually quite grateful that he is my first guest because it's thanks to him that I got to this point. It was uh, he who invited me into a private free speech group of like-minded people who were all concerned about what's going on with freedom of speech in our culture right now he's a good friend of mine he'll be going by mike and that's all you get to know about him and some of the things that uh, he wanted to discuss is authoritarianism and censorship which again was also quite fitting because of the nature of the show so mike this is freedom you're on the air oh hey
1: it's uh mike
0: good good to talk it is good to talk now, we're not going to specify how much of an age difference there is between you and I. There is one, but we're not, I'm not going to specify how much. But uh, the first thing that I'm kind of curious about is when I was uh, when I was growing up, there was a very clear window of time between when I had the Internet and when I didn't have the Internet. And when I didn't have the Internet, life certainly felt its most authoritative because I really had no one to trust but the institutions that were in place at the time. And that meant school, that meant what was on television, whether that was the news or even other television shows. Uh, And once the internet rolled around, I certainly felt a lot more free. It felt like there was this sort of new realm that I can uh, exist in. Even at that time, it didn't occur to me that I can really shape my life around being online. But now it seems to me that life really starts being shaped through what we do online. So with you, what I'm curious about is, did you have a window of time before the internet was in your life? And how long of a time was that?
1: Well, it doesn't really count. But I guess when I'm a toddler, that's probably it. Right. But otherwise, for most of my life, the internet has been Pretty significant. So,
0: and as a toddler, you certainly didn't have any concerns about uh, authoritarianism or censorship at that time. No, no, because you're still dealing with being in a crib and stuff like that. So, yeah, no, I'm not <laughs> worrying about not worrying about that aspect. Okay, so what was uh, what was like the first thing that uh, you can remember uh, doing on the internet? What was the shape of the internet at that time for you?
1: Well, what I remember doing is. I mostly remember going on Newgrounds and watching uh, animated shorts that were obviously not for my age, but you know, the biggest influence would have to be my brother, mainly because he used to go on Newgrounds a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, your brother is a very dear friend of mine, and to the point where I would consider him a, a brother, which I would consider you a brother as well, by extension of that. And yeah, Newgrounds was. Um, One of the initial uh, places for me as well. And I think it still is. I know that there's a lot of competition now, especially with uh, how big uh, YouTube and uh, how dominant social media is. But I think Newgrounds has always had that place as, I want to say, like the spearhead of uh, alternative thought, because there you really had to go out of your way to break one of their rules. You know, I remember they've they've done like a lot of different. Recategorization of their websites, like there was a lot of uh, changes to the way uh, Newgrounds was presented. And I remember there was a while where there would be this banner at the top, just as an example, of the uh, cuckoos from uh, a link to the past, where you could click on them individually, or a tank would eventually drive past them and run them over, and it was a bloody mess. And it was it was great because that's on the front page, and that's like the first sign that Newgrounds really is a free place for people. To to express themselves, but like you really had to go out of your way to do something unacceptable by new ground standards. I think there was one point where there was this category, I don't think it's still around now, I would have to uh, double check, but it was called bastards. And the category was just like the flash videos of people who were screwed over or just had really bad luck or whatever the case is. And one of them was actually like a Chung Lee video, and I do believe she was getting raped. And I never watched it myself, but. I remember the the owner or the creator of the video said, uh, "I didn't I never wanted this to be in the bastard section." I'm like, "Oh, I'm so, sorry, I'm sorry. Your your Chun Li rape video uh, was miscategorized. Let us let's fix that for you." Like that's the example <laughs> that I can remember of like something getting out of hand on Newgrounds.
1: Good thing Newgrounds existed before Web two Otherwise, that site would just get banned. Right now, we a lot of there's a lot of very sensitive people that if you say even accidentally the wrong way, they would just have these massive campaigns that just go, oh, let's ban it.
0: You know, I do think of myself as definitely like above average sensitivity. I know that I'm certainly not the most sensitive person with a Facebook account, but I remember that there was a window of time where I would have been that person who wanted things to be banned. And the reason why is because I didn't want to have to deal with a thought process that offended me because I didn't think it was necessary. I thought that my life was like I, I had been through enough. Uh, I don't think I need to go through this. This is my thought at the time, but like everybody is only going to learn as much as they feel they need to learn so that they can uh, live the life that they choose. And I think the way that this kind of uh, exemplifies itself just in our society is that we, in spite of the fact that we have the technology to uh, make the world a functioning place all over the world, we don't. We have people who rejected these ideas. And, and so and that's kind of what like I, I understand some of that sensitivity, only in that it's not that they 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 want to go their entire life without being challenged, but they don't want that challenge to to be so invasive because you you can have quite a bit of uh offensive material at your fingertips and so i can understand like you know i i don't want it to to be on facebook at all you know it pisses me off it shouldn't piss anybody off and so there's also an element of empathy to it too
1: i can understand that i guess the only flip side to that is at the same time you gotta have things that Are opposed to you otherwise you would be stagnant into one thought you wouldn't really grow as a person if you just listen to thoughts that you mostly agree with you kind of have to listen to all types of thoughts all types of theories right so forth
0: yeah and I try to do that as much as I can especially like in the last uh, couple of years, you know, a lot of the stuff that I thought, a lot of the direction that I thought my life was gonna go was, was altered. You know, for uh, quite a while, I really thought that we were going to be going in a unique like, world government direction. I really thought that universal basic income was basically gonna happen. And what I thought was going to happen to the world was that you know, the majority of people weren't gonna go to work because they wouldn't need to there would be enough technology that, you know, everybody's basic needs could could be met, food would be automated, and the only people who would go to work were the people who really wanted to. And as a creator, I was actually really excited about that because what would happen is now I would, I would have this huge audience of people who really had nothing else to do but consume material. And as a creator, this would be great. And I think a lot of uh, people are living that life kind of expecting that to happen. I think that's one of the reasons why uh, watch it, so many so many hours are spent watching YouTube, or even watching other people play video games, is because I think a lot of people don't ha- have the sense of not only not having work to do, but not understanding why they have to do work. And so, and I was there, right? And what happened to me is I started freelancing, and I really wanted to uh, make money on my own terms, and that and that's what what changed my start. It opened up the ability for me to have my mind changed is because I started realizing how difficult it is to, uh, to make money in spite of what skills I had at the time. And so what happens is we get to the 2016 elections and it was the first time that I really stepped out of my window of influence and started using the internet for uh, information and for starting to hear other conversations. And I was lucky because I had the experience of really trying to succeed on my own, to cushion a lot of these really difficult truths that I was being uh, told by, or I was being explained to by places like uh, uh, Freedom and Radio. And so I was okay with it. Like I could take that, I could take that shock. And now I see the world as a very different place. And I think a lot of people are uh, struggling with seeing the world the way it is because um, they haven't been motivated to have that to, to step out and to try to uh, succeed on their own terms and, and there's a lot of things that or there's a lot of tenants that uh, cause that actually we still have an active conveyor belt system where people will still go through school and they will go through high school and they'll go through college and will spend the most influential time of their life being told you do this you end up here and I think that uh, is going to go away you know, like on a daily basis now, you know, I'm on YouTube and I'm spending at least like an hour, two hours, just like listening to people, staying up to date with current events. And what I'm finding is that I feel like this is what classrooms are going to be now. Uh, it's right there. It's accessible. I can even like participate if I pay a couple of bucks and I could say something and I'm learning so much at my own pace while I can play a video game. Even like I can, I can distract myself you know, and still and still be educated. And so I think what's happening is that there is this resistance to change, unlike anything we've seen, because the changes that are going to happen are unlike anything that we've seen. And uh, I try to sort of live in the present that I think the future is going to be. And so that's why I I can stand dealing with opposing issues. Uh, whereas uh, I'm I'm curious as to where do you uh, where do you get your opposing views from? What are some of the places that you listen to? Or what are the conversations that you're uh, uh, engaging in?
1: I guess the most I go to is from time to time. Whenever I'm bored, I just go to different. I go to different YouTube channels just to see their opinion I go to some left leaning channels, some right leaning channels, some far a bit of the alt-right channels just you. Mm-hmm. even if I don't agree with them, I would still
0: listen. Actually, um, uh, what are uh, some of the left-leaning channels that you go to? Because I spent a lot of my life in sort of like a left-leaning perspective. And so a lot of the information that I started collecting in the last little while was right-leaning. Um, so what are some of the left people that you uh, that you listen to?
1: I guess the most I can think of in terms of left-leaning, although it's not a very strong case, one would be Chris Reagan. I think in terms of other left-leaning, I occasionally listen to some amazing atheist videos.
0: So now what I'm uh, curious about is some of the stuff that we discussed prior to recording was uh, dealing with Dealing with censorship and dealing with author- authoritarianism. And like I mentioned at the top, it's it's great that we're having that particular discussion first off, given the nature of this show. So what are some of the like the glaring concerns that you have on the mind right now?
1: Well, the first is the most recent one. I don't know if you ever heard of the Count Dankula was arrested I because have. he made jokes.
0: Yeah, yeah. Can we uh, can we break that down for people who aren't who don't know what's going on?
1: Okay, so what basically happened was, so this YouTuber, this Scottish YouTuber by name of Count Dekula, what he did is he annoyed his girlfriend by having his pug do a Nazi salute and watch Nazi videos. So what happened was, I believe the Scottish police got a hold of it and basically said, "Oh, this is not." this is not right. We're going to send you to we're going to send you to trial for H Beach. And so what ended up happening was he got arrested for I don't remember what exactly is what exactly was the what he was.
0: What were the exact charges?
1: Yeah, but it it fell in line with his video and how it's just hate
0: speech okay well as a star it's clearly not hate speech it's clearly either satire or parody like it definitely falls under the realm of comedy i mean in order for i mean i guess the the uh, nazis in particular the nazi germany nazis were a quite hateful group of people and no one is you never know right this is an open invitation show so maybe somebody on that end will end up on this. I actually had to ask the administrator who I do my hosting with, like this is going to be a free speech show. Like if somebody comes on, who's that controversial, I want you to know that I don't want to turn the, that person away. So we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it, assuming that the bridge isn't on fire. But, uh, I mean, that's obviously It's, it's not, it's clearly I I don't know who who would be listening to this who would be disagreeing with me, but I guess if you do disagree with me, uh, this is pot at protonmail.com. You know, feel free to uh, connect with me on this, but it's clearly just a, a joke. Now, because we were mentioning sensitivity earlier, and I'm going to do my best to try to represent the opposing side on this in this particular case, it's quite difficult, but it's very clearly sorry. Yes, it's very clearly a joke. But there are a few groups of people who I think have solidified their status as people that will forever be associated with something horrible. And there is some respect for the people who have suffered uh, terribly at the hands of the Third Reich. And it's not like the atrocities that they committed became less horrible. There is something to be said about all the other atrocities committed throughout history that statistically are more horrible. But this one was a particular standout because people knew about it. Uh, It was very clearly like this is a group of evil people uh, on the march. And it was, I think, one of the few cases of a pure black and white situation in in recent history so I think for somebody to callously do a a Nazi uh, a joke you kind of do you do have to know what you're getting into I mean if a a comic goes up on stage and wants to do rape jokes it's like you know yes you have freedom of expression on your side but one thing that I've always kind of believed in is uh, freedom of consequence now that said I wouldn't put this person in jail like, I wouldn't do that. That's not necessary because you send somebody to jail because they need correction or they need to be confined because they're a danger and or they've committed something so horrible that they deserve to be really. I think confinement is one of the meanest one of the most horrible things that you can do to somebody because it encloses them in this space where they're stuck with their own mind and there's no stimulation and it really is truly a terrible, terrible thing so for a guy to go to jail for annoying his girlfriend like that, I th- I think that's that's definitely an extreme. But I understand that something as terrible as what they did, th- it's just like a reminder of like, this is something that was uh, really quite terrible that happened in history. And there are still people who are alive today who lost somebody in their family and that doesn't go away. And it's the same thing with like, doing a joke on 9-11. It's even even more relevant, right? The the people who lost their parents or their family members or their loved ones, it's still there. So for those people, I can't imagine that they would laugh at that. I can imagine them being really quite upset about that. And again, that doesn't mean you throw the person in jail. Uh, I can kind of understand like, I don't know, a slap on the wrist or anything like that. But in my perspective, I think this is it, it's not going to resolve the problem because i don't think it it provides closure for anybody let's just say you know I, I come across this video and i had family who were lost in the holocaust and i think the best thing that can happen out of this situation is for me to write something in the comments and say listen i was somebody who i'm some i lost somebody uh, whom I've never met you know, just based on the time. And uh, I didn't think this, I just find this video is very disrespectful for the people who are lost in that. So, you know, count me as somebody who didn't find it funny. And, you know, you would hope that that would encourage other people who also didn't find it funny, maybe they suffered a loss in their family, maybe they didn't. And they're just empathetic towards that. And then the, the comments on that add up. And rather than smack somebody with, uh, with a lawsuit, or in this case, I'm still kind of, I still can't believe it that the person's in jail over this. I think that the consequences in a state where everybody is free to express themselves can be just as bad or, um, sorry, I think the consequences can be more effective than throwing somebody in jail and actually galvanizing the wrong people into, into action. Because I think now this person has a bunch of people who probably aren't going to go back and view his content later it's like well you know i just came here to laugh and there's hundreds and hundreds of people with content that i uh, that i find much much funnier and much less offensive anybody who is offended by that and is still brave enough to still view that material i think deserves to be commended because there's no telling just how much something like that uh, affects them and the other thing uh, that it was kind of like sticking in my head throughout discussing all of this is that I remember, you know, when I didn't have very much to, to watch, right. I would have a television and I had an antenna, which basically meant CBC, French channel, uh, Fox, and you know, a couple of others, like the WB. And so what that meant was there was very little for me to watch. And that's probably why there was a whole generation of us who are giant uh, Simpsons fans, because the Simpsons was um, was a cartoon. It was funny. It was on often enough, and there was enough episodes that we didn't end up seeing the same six episodes over and over again. So it was just something that, kind of by consequence, a lot of people watched. And you know, there was worse things that could have filled that time slot, but every now and then there'd be that gag where the bullies are uh, pummeling on Bart. And uh, as somebody who endured bullying, I never laughed at that. I don't care how funny the joke was; like, I just didn't laugh at it. Now, I wasn't going to be a little bitch and, and complain or anything like that. I was just going to, I don't know, suck it up. I guess so free entertainment. But, you know, at, le- at least now, if somebody really doesn't like something, just like say your piece and then go. It's much more of a punishment to to no longer give this person an attention. Anybody in the media, you know, even myself, uh, anybody who has a YouTube channel, anybody who goes up on stage, you know their their livelihood is based off whether or not people are paying attention i mean you have to be pretty nuts to to make content and not have anybody view it and without even like wanting people to view it uh, you know i do some of my stuff doesn't get very many views but we make it expecting views to roll in at some point but imagine making content and being like oh i'm just gonna make the i'm just gonna go into a stage with an empty stage and just talk and not expect anybody to listen to it. That's insane. Nobody does that.
1: I guess the only thing to comment about that is I can understand that they would be affected by a joke and they would go, oh, this is not right. I don't find it funny at all. My only thing is that people shouldn't be the ones that police, oh, this, this type of humor is unacceptable or this type of humor is unacceptable because I don't know what your philosophy on humor is, but for me, one of the biggest things is certain types of comedies, we laugh because we find certain things
0: uncomfortable. Right. Well, my uh, philosophy on humor and comedy is this. I think it's this is something that we've heard a lot of people say, is that comedy is subjective. Is it something that you've heard somebody say at least once? Yeah. Uh, I disagree with that. I think that comedy is objective in that there is a craft, there is a construction, there are there's a setup, there's a payoff, then there's anti-jokes. But crafting humor uh, is as objective as a painter learning about brush techniques or an illustrator learning about uh, shape. And you can break those conventions, but it's, I think it's important for those conventions to be in place now i find humor is the subjective side of it because humor is based off our experiences so while it's it's tr- you you're right in that humor has to even be slightly offensive uh, but i think the other side of it is in order to laugh at something it has to be relatable and i think that relatability uh, can have a critical impact on whether or not somebody laughs it at it right just referring to uh, what I was talking about with uh, with Bart getting uh, pummeled by his bullies, uh, I over related to it to the point where I felt like them making light of something that can scar other people for life shows a lack of understanding of what makes of what could potentially make uh, bullying funny. So that that for me is an example of. Consider myself as somewhat of an authority on the subject of bullying because of my own experience and um, hearing what other people had to say about the subject. So I think for if somebody else didn't deal with that, and they wanted to have an opinion on it, I would kind of stand up and go, um, I think I'd like my opinion to have a little bit like an above average weight because of what I dealt with. Um, As for as for uh, uh, whether or not it has to be offensive, I think, or making people uncomfortable. I think that's basically true across the board. I think it's very rare for something to be humorous and not be offensive or attack or make somebody uncomfortable in some way. You know, I think the the kind of humor that has a chance of making everybody laugh is the crass or the blue humor, right? Like making jokes about uh, a poop or making jokes about sex or making joke about. Um, and then you go above that and you make jokes about like drinking or or pot or something like that, right? Like the relatability scales up what country a person is from, and then you scale on top of that and you start getting into. Um, well, sorry, I, I don't. I don't need to keep going in that. I'm, I'm sure you 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 get where I'm going with it, and in in that regard, um, if if all comedy is offensive, even slightly, even like a tiny, 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 tiny seed of offensiveness, then what that means is that laughter is a defense mechanism. Uh, you, there is such a thing as people laughing out of nervousness or laughing because they don't have a response to anything else and they can't quite grasp a situation. Um, if I, I don't know when was the last time you've been to a funeral, but at all the funerals I've been to, uh, there's actually quite a bit of laughter because it's a, it's a vulnerable time and people are just trying to come up with some way to cope with what's happening. And I think what happens is Laughter is a defense mechanism and it's a healthy defense mechanism, but it's certainly not the only one. Uh, There are other responses that people have to a perceived attack or a perceived uh, offense. Um, I mean, for me, sometimes, um, actually, no, I can give you a specific example for this one. So what was happening was, uh, because I'm editing somebody else's podcast and I'm uh, mentioned in it like they didn't, they didn't think that they were mentioning me. They were just like telling a story about a guy who did a thing. And it turns out that I had done the thing and it's funny. Like I'm I, like, I could have edited it out and I didn't cause I thought it was funny, but that didn't mean that I laughed at it because what it did was it, tr- tr- um, triggered. God, I can't believe I'm using that word in context. It triggered a part of my brain that went more of like fight or flight. It was more of like that high anxiety response as opposed to, uh, laughing at it. To the point where the only way that i was actually going to laugh at something even though it was like clearly funny i would have to have forced it out and i couldn't do that i think we're getting to a point where if we don't really teach people the importance of comedy and the importance of laughter then what we're going to end up with is a situation where fewer fewer things are uh, are making people laugh and we're increasing the uh, defense mechanism, we're increasing stress and we're increasing anxiety. And it's then we do live in, in, in an anxious time and people are like, well, why are you guys so anxious? Why is, why is your generation so anxious? And I was like, well, of course we're anxious. If there was a point where people didn't think they were gonna make it past 30, so they didn't have the weight of their actions that we do. You know, let's say I said, or did something embarrassing, which has happened a number of times, and it's not like I'm going to die at 30. I don't know when I'm going to die, right? Like, I could die at 80. I could die at 120. So I have to live with the concern of what effect those actions are going to have for a very long time. So we are dealing with unprecedented levels of anxiety. And I think that's getting in the way of humor.
1: Also, back then, the way, we, the way information was transferred was very slow. You basically had newspapers. Sometimes you would probably get, oh... Hiri hiri things like that, but nowadays information is just seconds away. Even if you're not, even if you're not using the internet, you have the twenty four seven news cycle, which pretty much gives you, oh, this event happens. There's this attack. Oh wait, breaking news. There's another attack.
0: Right. You know, I was, uh, I came to this realization: news is kind of an addiction, um, just because it's like you, you have. Uh, groups of people who are set up to uh, root for certain narratives without regarding of what the truth is because I think if you're a part of a group then you believe in a certain truth and you have your facts and your evidence to back that up but then you have another group of people who are believing in a different narrative and what they perceive to be the truth and they have their facts and their evidence to back it up like I don't I really don't think I, it's weird because like I'll, I'll try to hear what both sides of, uh, of an issue have to say and both sides have this tendency to accuse the other of ignoring facts well it's like well maybe there's just like a boatload of information and people can shape reality as they see fit but you know well that's that's kind of a side point and I find that based off the news that I'm hoping to hear or the news that I'm hoping not to hear is that I'm kind of addicted to it now because it's it's coming out so quickly and it's mostly free and it's like oh man, this is good news for my narrative or this is bad news for my narrative, but man, do I feel like I'm under I'm, I'm under its spell.
1: Yeah, and not only that, but another thing with news is that you're given like one side of a story, one side of a story that has many different angles to it. So right. you could have one story that says, oh, this person this person is involved in this particular group, but you have another side where it says, oh, this person is committing the act out of self-defense. And you have another group that says, oh, the person that the individual is, you know, wasn't in the wrong at all.
0: Right. Yeah, my my guiding light is uh, I've tried to go by is that when you have two conflicting stories, the truth ends up somewhere in the middle uh, because you have this collection of, of story beats and then both sides try to spin that story in, uh, in, the, in their direction. So that's, uh, I think that that's a good starting point. It's not always correct, but it's how I've tried to come to grips with uh, just, just how much news and how much information is, is coming out and how rapidly it's coming out um so i wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh censorship because it's something that we've prior to recording this, this is something that we wanted to uh, to touch on the first thing that i want to say about censorship and this is something that i've always uh kind of held to uh my creative side is that i don't know if every creative person is like this but personally, I've always found that uh, censorship or any kind of restriction is actually kind of a relief. Because what that means is now that I know what are my parameters, I can work within those parameters. It's why like I mentioned, I was mentioning confinement uh, earlier on is that I'm very sensitive about confinement, because if a person is like over confined, I don't know what that that does for their creativity. But you know let's just say like oh uh if i'm doing a, a show and i'm not allowed to touch on these subjects i go okay that's fine um the other side of it too is that i like in the more of like direct example of censorship i always i always find it funnier when somebody is swearing and then the the, the beep happens as opposed to actually hearing them swear because i think what happens there is like i'm kind of imagining how it's being said and I have a pretty clear understanding of it but then I find that when I actually hear them swear it's more deflating so that's been like creatively that's been my experience with censorship I've never I can't say I've dealt with any situations where like like a Lenny Bruce situation where the, the guy was clearly being uh, forced like he was being arrested for what he said which I'd say is a pretty extreme version of censorship and also like what we were talking about earlier uh, Count Dankula, I blanked on the name for a second there but that's also like a very extreme version of it. So uh, can can you think of any instances where it's kind of had a direct impact on uh, on your life or lifestyle or even your work?
1: Well, I guess it's coming from a personal tale. When I was in uh, this group that you recently got uh, ostracized, I it was kind of censoring
0: <sighs> yes okay so let me uh, set up the context a little bit um okay i realize at this point if anybody wants to do some digging they might be able to figure out our relationship but so mike is he, him and i were uh were part of a group of friends that um i was personally very close with for a very long time and because the political climate in 26 2015 really became it's most volatile that we had ever experienced it created a it didn't just create a rift but it accelerated the rifts that were already forming and i and i'm not in contact with uh, any of those people um as time goes on i'm hoping that we can find ways to close those rifts if they can't be closed then so be it uh, i do take some comfort in the fact that i didn't actually have to directly like leave i just had to keep being myself and eventually i'll get kicked out so i got that going for me but um you know don't uh, don't say anything that you don't want to say but um uh, tell as much of the story as you're comfortable telling
1: well i guess the only thing that's kind of relevant is uh they've kind of been sort of well in general we've been kind of distant so it's kind of been like slowly, slowly, they've been like kind of ghosting,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <sighs> which I mean, I'm kind of, I was kind of like hurt by it, but at the same time, I don't know, I'm my own person, so eh.
0: Okay. Um, you know, uh, I, uh, I've i dealt with ghosting, um, mainly on, uh, on, on Tinder. And uh, I, I'm actually the uh, now the culprit of uh, an instance of ghosting. And I just want to say it because I want to offer some perspective. Um, there's somebody that, even though I'm not talking to this person at the moment, I still consider uh, him to be a very dear friend. It's just that it got to the point where I really ran out of patience uh, with this person because there are a number of things that I perceive to be transgressions uh, committed against me. Um, and I don't, and I can't prove whether or not they're malicious, but that's besides the point. And I'm at a situation now where I don't want to speak to this person because the transgressions have really outweighed my patience with dealing with them. Now, I think some of those things are the other person's fault, and I certainly think I certainly think some of those things are my fault, but it's just a matter of, you know, uh, I just had enough. And, and I think a lot of it really comes down to my threshold for what I can deal with, because I think that if I had more patience with this person uh, than I currently do, then and also had more bravery with this person than I do, then I could try to resolve more of it, and I can't. And so I just kind of like, all right, that does it. I'm just not talking to this person. Now, I'm I'm trying to be as hard on myself as possible. But my but my friend at one point uh, spoke to me like a dog, and I don't appreciate being spoken to like an animal. So I, you know, in general, everybody should uh, should consider how their actions might piss off somebody else. I can understand why they did that, because I think what happens is that, you know, you uh, in a in a political sense and in a personal sense and in a personality sense are moving in a direction that I don't think you're doing, you know, out of spite or anything like that. You're just doing what makes sense to you, because this is your life that you want to live and they don't have the and it's like what well, I don't have the patience to deal with my friend, they don't have the patience to to deal with you anymore, because your direction is such an affront to the direction they're going, that they the, the they're willing to say, you're no longer worth, uh, you're not you're no longer worth their time, we're gonna we're gonna move on in this direction. And I think it's unfortunate, because you know i would like to think that i have enough friends around that don't agree with me on things so that we can grow but still be amicable you know there's a story i wish i knew who told this to me uh, i'm pretty sure it was from someone that i was that i was a listener of but there's these two people in in uh, in the uk that get together for coffee or tea, sorry, you know, tea. they get together for tea and one guy is like an anarchist and the other guy is a business person and they, and they sit down and they just shout at each other for like an hour, you know, they really have it out. And then when they run out of tea, they're like, uh, excuse me, can, I, can we get a refill? It's a terrible accident, but whatever. And and they get there and, and, and they refill and then they and then they unload again. And it's kind of a relief, you know, to uh, to let out your. Uh, to let out your side of it and let out your issues and air your grievances against somebody who is a representation of those grievances. And then when it's done, they shake hands or whatever it is they do in the UK and they go live their productive or unproductive lives respectively. And I mean, that's terrific. I mean, that's the kind of thing that, you know, we all want to deal with. Um, I, th- I think a lot of this really tra- traces back to um, the sensitivity threshold because I think you're not doing anything to hurt them, at least not directly. I don't know. And I I, I know these people, too, that you're referring to. And the difference between you and me is that it got to a point where I did actually want to start hurting them uh, because I had felt so hurt. And, you know, I am older now than I was when this first started. And I'm And as time continues to go on and I gain more of my patience back, I'm thinking more now, like, I think that there are ways to deal with this that we couldn't have dealt with um, when we were younger. And so I'm kind of optimistic about that, but I don't know. The good news is it's, it's easier now to make new friends, too. Like, I would say that you and I are very lucky to be part of this free speech group that I'd be happy to invite anybody listening to this into if you're not or for those of you who are part of the group who are listening to this you know thanks i i just want to extend a thank you to all of you for being yourself and being a part of this group because you know it out with the old in with the new right now we have uh, a, a new people that we can speak to and i'm not saying like oh i'm going to base my whole life around it but it turned out to be a pretty good trade <laughs> i gotta say
1: plus I don't know, many of the veterans I, well, veterans, quote unquote, I actually like, So that's also a positive.
0: Right. All right. So we had 50 minutes um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think uh, 45 minutes were mine, five minutes were yours. Uh, so if there's anything else, you've got the floor. If there's anything else you want to say, you want to ask, you know, now's your now's your chance to do it.
1: Well, I guess I'll spend a bit of a segment on, you know, the trend. Uh, oh, it's kind of a trend amongst mostly different entertainers is the fact that you have these entertainers like Marilyn Manson and I guess Alice Cooper who basically use their, you know, the whole, oh, this person is bad for the youth. The irony, the, the ironic things that what those people don't realize is that. Part of the reason that they're appealing is because those people, soccer moms, those lawmakers make it appealing. So when people, when they say, oh, this music or this art is obscene, teenagers will flock to it.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that happened to me too, right? Like I was told not to, uh, watch South Park, uh, but. Because South Park was uh, so outrageous for me relative to my experience as a kid, it it made me want to watch it uh, more. So, um, I, I am willing to also uh, take the conserv- Drop my pen again. I am willing to take the conservative side on this because I think there is an issue, uh, a concern with degeneracy where it gets a little bit too out of hand. And then you have a, uh, a culture of degeneracy where there's not enough productivity and that there is this desensitization, desensitization, well, wow, that word is way too hard. And, and people becoming become too desensitized. Um, I understand the concern. I think all in all, it was a flop of a concern because I, I viewed a considerable amount of um, inappropriate content when I was younger new grounds definitely uh, helped in that regard uh, south park definitely one of the things that stood out for me music wasn't so much my thing i can understand if music is a thing for other people that's great so the only thing that i would really ha- want to do differently when it's kind of my turn to determine you know what my children uh, can and can't view is it just is not to just outright say no because i think honestly that that's just it doesn't work. It's, it's, it's a red light that filters through a person and then they see a green and they just go for it. So what you need is is to explain to them very carefully, you know, what effect this can have, uh, and how this, uh, uh relates to reality. And yeah, like somebody like, uh, Marilyn Manson could not be more grateful for, for, for having any kind of, uh, controversy in the news because that kind of, con- or just like, yeah, controversy, could not be more grateful to have that kind of controversy because that's what helps sell albums and that's what helps gets, gets people uh, connected with it almost to the point where it's like, you would think it's deliberate, you know, it's like if the, if the parents see, you know, if they were there at that point and they know what it's like, so they have to pretend that they don't like it. I don't know. It's just, it's just so perfect. and it works so well for them. It's amazing that they fall for it every time.
1: Well, I think for Marilyn's case, it definitely is deliberate. does a lot of provocative things that are you know violent and sometimes weirdly sexual that you know it's very intentional
0: all right mike um i'm gonna call it here uh thank you for uh coming on and uh for those of you listening uh this is freedom is a open invitation show so if You've been galvanized, and you want to correct me on at least six of the things that I said that are incorrect. Feel free. You can email this is pod at protonmail dot com. I have to work on an out. I don't have an out yet, Mike. Thank you for being a guest, and I will talk to you probably later today. Honestly, like we talk all the time. So take it easy.
1: Yeah. See you.